0: Einstein and Sock Monkey, Episode 15, iPhone-less, recorded on August 9th, 2011. <laughs> what? There's a whole stock monkey culture connected to all of it. I believe that Einstein was a lazy procrastinator like me. Yeah, but can you guys tell me what this has to do with um, web design? Welcome everybody to Einstein and Sock Monkey, the podcast for web geeks and website owners. My name is Steve Martin. I'm a user experience designer by trade and one of the hosts. And uh, we also have our other host, Ron, Zazin, Zah, Ron Zazadinsky.
1: It is a hard one to say. No that's one, for sure. no one ever
0: messes your name up. I'm uh, sure. No, not <laughs> ever. You're the first. <laughs> <laughs> I've known you how long? Okay. But um, we had this is episode 15, and we're excited to keep to. Uh, be recording this for you today and uh got a good show lined up for you i think um ron i just now noticed two seconds ago that you were on a macbook air yes that's that's fancy have you cut yourself on it yet
1: (laughs) it's so thin and sharp yes it's very dangerous to carry around so don't steal mine (laughs) you just get that yep i just got it cool i'm thrilled with it i uh I was just super excited. I've been just really excited about them since they first came out years ago. And now yeah. with that new model that just came out a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it came in, got it all set up. I think it arrived the day of our last podcast. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. So are you surviving without the CD drive?
1: I am. I, I haven't figured it all out. I have definitely installed a few apps using the remote drive capability. So oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but. Since it doesn't have a drive, it has software that lets you utilize the hard drive That's on right. any other computer, including PCs around. To, which is pretty slick. Which is slick. And it worked for installing some apps, but um, applications, but it didn't work. I tried to um, import some music from some CDs into iTunes that I hadn't burned yet or ripped yet. Yeah. And it, I couldn't get it to work for that. So I'm hmm. not sure. It gave me a, a particular error, which I don't recall off the top of my head, but I need to look weird. into that a little bit and see what's going on. Hmm. Cool. But I love it. It's just so light and uh, very with Thunderbolt, responsive. Thunderbolt, I see. Yes, new one has Thunderbolt. Whenever something SD with Thunderbolt card slot comes out, thirteen-inch model. Oh, nice. Which I, was kind of key for me because it only has a two hundred whatever fifty gig. Oh, yeah? Solid state yeah, two hundred fifty-six. That's, that's the highest they make right now for mm-hmm. from the factory, anyway. Um, but with the SD card slot, they make SD cards up to sixty-four gigs. That's a lot. So I actually ordered one of those, so that can be some additional storage. That's cool. Cool. So that'll put me over the three hundred and whatever range.
0: Are there speakers in that?
1: Uh yes, I believe so. so. You know, I haven't tried playing yeah, oh yeah, there's speakers.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I don't see them. <laughs> yeah. There's
1: speakers, microphone, camera. Oh, wow, cool. Lighted keyboard. And I love the keyboard. I feel of the keyboard is even nicer than the MacBook Pro, I think. Um, really? Yeah. I really like that. So I, I like it all around. The biggest things I was looking for was um I just am so excited about these solid state drives because they the computer starts up so fast and when you launch applications they launch so quickly. Right. Uh, It's a really big difference. I mean, things just launch so quickly. Really? Mm -hmm. I use a lot of the Adobe apps and so you're always waiting for you know. I mean, you know, we use computers all the time, so we're being pretty picky, right? But twenty whole seconds. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) like wait like a minute for Photoshop to fire up is a little bit of a pain. Yeah, it Uh, can be. And now it takes you like five seconds. So you're kidding? No. Wow. It's really fast. <laughs> um, awesome. and it's all the solid state drives from what I understand is the big performance increase.
0: Wow, it's nice. Yep. So very happy. Well, this isn't the Mac show, but No, it's not. <laughs> but and I I've, I was I was wondering today actually earlier today. You've mentioned in the past couple of podcasts how many inquiries you're getting and how busy you are. Is that continuing it's like kind of working itself out i'm kind of curious oh as far as like new new leads for work yeah yeah
1: yeah it's still it's still busy uh definitely um you know what's interesting is that over the last five years historically summer has been the low period where we've had the fewest right amount of inquiries for new york and we're still getting a steady stream of inquiries so that's really encouraging it's good because september usually picks up so we're holding real steady right now and uh still bringing on new projects all the time um yeah, it's good. It's
0: cool. Well, um, you want to go ahead and get on with the news today?
1: That sounds good. All right, go ahead. Okay, so my first uh, news item is a mobile-related one uh, from ReadWriteWeb. And uh, the announcement is that Nokia will not be selling Symbian operating system-based phones any longer in North America. Uh, So that's not a big shocker. I mean, Symbian has never been a major operating system in the U.S.
0: I honestly didn't really know that they did. (laughs) I know. I was like, what? I mean, I knew overseas it was a big deal, but I didn't know there was anything Exactly.
1: Worldwide it is. Um, But why it's significant is, uh, you know, we were really wondering how Nokia, which is one of the (laughs) longest running, most successful handset makers in the history of mobile, um, how they were going to change their behavior taking on a CEO um, that's formerly a Microsoft executive, and we, you know, they announced that they were going to be switching over to Windows Seven right. as their platform as their operating system. So that was not a surprise. Right. Everybody kind of thought that was likely, um, but it's interesting just to see now kind of how this plays out, you know, in the real world. So this is the first step: is Symbian will be cut, and then just in North America, though, just in North America. Um, this will be the starting place for the introductions. So they've revealed a little bit of their marketing plan. Is that they're planning to release the Windows Phone Seven devices first in North America,
0: hmm.
1: with the hope that they can um, gain big traction here, and that, like the iPhone and Android, that success will then carry over to Europe and then beyond. Um, hmm. So that's what their that's what their strategy is, and they're planning apparently the largest marketing campaign ever in the history of Nokia. So, wow, and they said the first phone should be available by the end of this year. Really? So I would say around the holiday time, November, December, look for lots and lots of TV and billboard ads from mm. Nokia for Windows Phone 7 devices. Uh be really interesting.
0: Yeah, I was actually, I remember um, back at the IA Summit, I did the mobile workshop with Josh Clark and he was going through all the stats of, you know, he's like, who do you think has the highest percentage of market share, et cetera? And, Everybody guessed it, iPhone or Android, but worldwide it's Symbian. Exactly for smartphones. Exactly. I've never used it. I've heard that it's you know it's kind of outdated for one, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting that they. I mean, it makes sense they start in the states and kind of spread out from there. Mm -hmm. But hmm. the other one, other piece I learned on this uh, reading this article um,
1: was that their U.S. the president of the U.S. subsidiary of Nokia, Chris Weber, is also a Microsoft executive. So hmm. the head of North America and the head of Nokia worldwide now are both <laughs> former Microsoft execs. So that's uh, it's just really interesting.
0: I think so, Microsoft's going to be buying Nokia anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have to. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, I think they, they already could, did. <laughs> yeah. I think they could hang on to their they money the and, uh, you
1: know, their <laughs> with the way it's going so I, I just hope Nokia has just got such a good track record on the hardware side that I, I'm very hopeful yeah. for them that this can bring them some success. And you know, I think some competition in the handset market is generally a good thing. Hopefully it will make Android yeah, and iPhone better products.
0: A, and yeah, I'm pro-competition, I guess.
1: And Windows Phone 7's fun. I, I've used it just once um yeah. on a friend's phone and I really liked it. Yeah, the interactions are actually quite different to me than the Android and iPhone. Um kind of the the social and the the communication pieces are just more integrated. Mm. Um, So I really like that. And uh, they've got some unique... Um, transitions between apps and things mm-hmm. that
0: I thought were really refreshing. So uh, it, it seemed quite nice. So Android, I, I've, I've used Android a little bit. You'd consider Android and, and iPhone, iOS kind of similar type of interaction?
1: I think they're similar on, on the concept level that you know, you download apps, you install apps, you page okay. through screens and you tap on an app to launch it. Right. So those general concepts are very similar. Whereas with um, Windows 7 separate. It's, it's a little different. My experience, it's been a few months since I tried it, so I'm trying to remember, but my experience was you don't have a screen of apps mm-hmm. that you pick from that it's more like task-based kind of a thing. Huh. Or maybe even it's more like interaction-based, like who you want to interact with, and then you do things from there.
0: And you figure out what you can do with that person. Yeah, or
1: exactly. Huh. Yeah, So it was a different paradigm, and it, it made sense. It was,
0: I had to get myself, my hands on one of those, because that'd be interesting. Yeah,
1: I definitely uh, recommend playing around with one.
0: Hmm, Cool. Well, um, I wanted to let everybody know that iconathons are underway now. Now,
1: What is an iconathon? Come on. (laughs) You should know what an iconathon is. (laughs) I don't.
0: (laughs) Well, I actually came across this on Josh Clark's blog, um, globalmoxie.com. And he says an iconathon, what you can see, the the website is iconathon.org. And he describes it. I thought it was a, a really good description. I'll just read it. The Iconathon is a collaboration between the icon geniuses of the Noun Project and the civic-minded geeks at Code for America. The gist, gather a slew of designers together in cities around the nation for a full day of brainstorming and designing the icons Um, needed in civic signage. That's pretty cool. The result will be a set of public domain symbols that can be used by public and private organizations to communicate visual concepts to urban denizens.
1: So, so what kind of icons are they trying
0: to design? Well, have you have you seen icon um, thenounproject dot That that's a really cool kind of repository. I think it started as a Kickstarter project originally. Very cool. But what they're doing is trying to create um, a. Well, repository, to use the word again, of icons and symbols that are readily and quickly understood by everybody. And so they the have. Worthy goal? Right. Because it's tough to come up with icons that people understand. I mean, there are some that, like, we, we all can understand save, you know, yeah, that a little, little disk. disk. Although that's getting and, outdated too, right? right. <laughs> or undo and redo is kind of the arrows. You know, there are some things that are, they were kind of but, understood, but those
1: we become familiar with just through use over years, as opposed right. to being intuitive. Looking at them, right?
0: And so some of these are just kind of a re- de- re- slight redesign of the basics that you understand, but some of them are trying to rethink ways to show things that are that are intuitive. And, um, we at work, I go back and forth with some of our graphic designers all the time about getting an icon that looks right and i'm 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 a big fan of having text with an icon pretty much at all times unless it's really drop dead simple and obvious mm-hmm. but but it sounds like a really neat um a neat project, and code for America, I don't know did, you've mentioned this before? yeah, we have mentioned it on the show, I'm familiar yeah. with that yeah they yeah, I
1: think I mentioned it once yeah, yeah,
0: kind of doing different coding projects for for civic organizations but it's cool that they're getting together and working on that. So iconathon.org is the website and there are instructions on how to set up your own iconathon. They're not hmm. they're not organizing it. Oh. They're kind of kind I of creating I think there's a list on their searching? side of places where where this is going to happen. There's going to be one in New York City, I know, and I forget where else. Um, but if if you want to organize your own iconathon, it gives all the just the instructions and and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So that and
1: sounds really interesting.
0: Their iconathon. Uh, I'm Twitter. interested
1: just from a I don't know what the right word is, but uh, you know, human behavior perspective. Like, how do yeah. you organizational perspective? How do you run an event like that and get lots of designers working on lots of icons? Like, how do you divvy them up? And how many people work on one? Right? Do you have several teams working on the same one to get some variety? That 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 would be really interesting just to see how they. Oh, they do that, and that sounds like a very good, fun cause.
0: Well, if you go to theiconathon.org and go to what are iconathons and iconathon process and planning an iconathon, then you will have your questions answered, Ron. Okay, well, I was just looking at the noun project and uh, I see
1: all their icons there, so that's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, and though you can download those all EPS and or PNG or whatever you want ah, to use. So they're like
1: public domain
0: yeah. for usage? Yeah, that's nice. you can use them for anything. And they're all really good, simple icons that you can use, and that are, for the most part, readily understood. So. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> there are some things that you cannot. <laughs> no matter what you do, you cannot describe some things with a little bitty icon.
1: Yes, that's true. Like uh, in particular, the one for internal medicine. <laughs> um. Uh, looks like the centerline stripe of a highway with a skateboard going across the middle. <laughs> that's, oh, actually, that's the icon for highway. Okay, well, that makes a little more sense. Where did? Oh, I see internal. I was hovering over the wrong one. Oh. <laughs> okay, the one for internal medicine looks like internal medicine. No, this is pretty good. Pretty good. I just wanted an icon for file cabinets. No, I have one.
0: Ooh, there's an official icon for robot. There My is. son will be there's excited. There's one for curling, curling stones. That's what we all need. Really? As in the Canadian
1: thing? As in the Canadian thing. It's below ambulance next to cheese. (laughs) 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 I recognize what it was, but then again, I am weird. (laughs) Very cool. So my uh, next news item is an article entitled HTML5 can get the job, but can HTML5 do the job? Hmm. And it's actually mostly a review of um, another article by Josh Clark. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Josh Clark episode. It's the Josh Clark show today. <laughs> um,
0: um, yeah, so... So it can get the job and not do the job.
1: Right, or exactly. So it's a it's a good, the, the article that I... Oh, sorry, it's actually, I take that back. It's Brian Fling, the other popular mobile developer. Oh, it's his article. Right. Sorry, Josh. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> it's the Brian Fling article. So it's the Brian Fling and Josh Clark show. Anyway, um, it's a good article, and I think it's really helpful because there's so much talk about HTML5 apps, and um, he really kind of lays out, and I'd recommend reading both articles. The Read, Write, Web article is very short, gives you a quick overview. Um, Brian's article uh, we have a link to that in the show notes as well as longer, but it goes into in depth. If you're actually a developer or project manager, or company owner, considering a mobile web app, this would be a great thing to look at. But um, you know, basically, as you know, there's the
0: controversy of, or not controversy, but so this isn't. I'm sorry, this is mobile. You're talking, yes, yeah, mobile web apps. So not okay. native apps. And so not HTML five in general, but HTML five mobile. Or, Ooh, that's a good or question.
1: You know, really, his comments it, it is specifically addressing mobile apps, but I would say ninety five percent of his arguments, well, eighty percent of the arguments apply to just uh, web apps in general. Oh, okay, yeah, so it's broad enough that it covers that. It does address mobile specifically, and it gets even a little more complex, of course, with mobile. But a lot of it applies across the board. And basically the, the short summary is that, well, so, so the, you know, the debate is if you're looking at a mobile app, do you create a web app that runs in a browser, which then works on all smartphones that can have browsers that run HTML5, or do you create a native app that runs on one platform and right. then consider multiple versions for other platforms? And you know the, the kind of what they're getting at is, well, if HTML5 was that easy, that would definitely be the way to go. Yeah, so that's, that's what they say though. Yeah. I disagree with that because our culture, mobile culture right now is so app-centric. Yeah. That you know, how do you get people to find out about a mobile web app? That's a lot harder to get press about it or to make raise awareness than an app that you put in the Android marketplace or in the mm-hmm. iTunes store. It's much easier to get visibility hmm. in those stores. And then there's the whole payment system too. Because of too. the store itself. Yeah, because of the store, right? I was actually talking with, uh, we had an FCIP meetup, Fort Collins Internet Professionals meetup a couple weeks ago on mobile and there was a great discussion in the group and one of the developers there said when he's looking for something to do you know, a need on his mobile device he goes to the app store first he doesn't do a web search first to see if there's a site that can do what he wants Oh, I'm the same way. Really? Yeah. I mean if if I want my
0: app, if I want my phone to do something.
1: Right, you go to the iTunes If I want
0: information, I'll use Google on the phone.
1: Okay, but if you want to do something,
0: yeah. you see if, if there's an app for it if first. If I want my phone to become another That's kind of task. See, I, I so this device, is part of
1: the big yeah. uphill battle that mobile web app developers are facing. You know, Yes, it's cross-platform, and you can reach many more
0: devices, but if no one's looking for you, right. <laughs> what good does it do? Um, does it address like the the... HTML5 in a wrapper as an app itself.
1: A little bit. They do actually address that a, a, to a small amount, yeah. um, small degree. Uh, but what he's mostly pointing out is is the challenges of developing an HTML5 mobile app and that and that the terminology really HTML5 in the context of a mobile app isn't that different from HTML. Uh the the big thing is JavaScript. I mean, JavaScript oh, yeah. is what enables all yeah. the functionality, right? And um so his, his his bottom line point really is that creating an HTML5 web app, especially if it needs to be cross-platform compatible, is a lot harder than you think it is. Mm. Um, and he uh, outlines a couple key things here. So one is that JavaScript skills are definitely a critical path and that uh, his concern is that many developers only know how to do JavaScript with a tool like jQuery or a flat platform or framework. Um, but that when you get to troubleshooting and debugging, if you can't
0: actually, mm. if you don't know JavaScript inside and out, it's really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, even I can put in JavaScript hooks here and there and make something work. But if it, it if breaks, it doesn't work, yeah, I'm or in if trouble. it's only
1: working on some platforms and not another. How do you yeah. go troubleshoot that? Uh-huh. Um, and then he's got five, uh, Brian Fling has five caveats. Um, so he says HTML5 can do the job, but with these caveats, allow for time. Assume it will take far longer than any other project you've previously done. Uh, budget appropriately is number two. This is not a website, and it will cost you a lot more. <laughs> Three, make sure you have the right talent in-house. We're kind of we're talking about that already. Um, number four: uh, tools are non-existent, so you're likely going to have to build your own tools for various things during development. and consider all your options. you know, a dogmatic approach to technology. The surefire way to spend money
0: unnecessarily. So you know, don't be yeah. set on
1: doing it a certain way. Figure out what the right way is for the task you're trying to accomplish.
0: Oh yeah, amen. Well, that and that it's that goes across to, the board. Yeah, right? it goes with. Oh, I was just thinking today, I'm working on some kind of UX principles for our company, and one of the ones we kind of came up came up with was that technology shouldn't drive the design. Yes. And the same thing here. Exactly you know, Just because I can do something technologically doesn't mean it's going to be the best thing for exactly. my business, for the app, for the user, just because it's whatever. hot and
1: exciting right now, right? Doesn't mean that it's yeah, that that's the best answer for your problem, right? Or the best way to reach your clients, which is probably the most important thing of interest mm-hmm. to. The, yeah most yeah. businesses. Um, so uh, I have a link as well to the, his original article on pinchzoom.com. so that's a, it's a great article. And um, both of them are. And so one example, a specific example here of the kind of thing you have to consider with a mobile web app uh, specifically, so this does address the mobile side, is that um, he has a stat that 15% of all mobile apps launch while the device is offline. Really? So how do you handle that? How are you going to deal with that scenario of the offline data experience? So there's a lot more to it than might meet the eye uh, so you know if you 're a website owner and thinking about a mobile web app it 's a great way to go, but I think this is just a really just sets the context well um, you know as a website design shop, sometimes we get the question of why do websites cost what they do you know, and the answer is it takes a lot of experience and skill and time it takes a yeah. lot of time of you know people who are very skilled at what they do to do it right. Um, yes, you can throw something simple together quickly right but is it cross-platform compatible? Is it accessible? Uh, does it work in all the major different browsers that are still out there? Uh, is it SEO worthy? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many questions that have to be answered, and uh, same thing in mobile. So I think this is great to help set the context for mobile. Well, webs. without um, having
0: read this at all, from what you're saying, it sounds like in general the 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 you know the question of app or web app is kind of skewing more towards an, an app. Native app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean of course the big downside is it's platform specific. Right. right. You gotta make two or three versions. If you wanna reach more people. Right. So it
1: just depends, you know, you, you can actually look in your Google Analytics, for example, on your existing website and just see, you know, what mobile traffic is going to your existing site. Mm-hmm. That's one That's simple, really quick way to get a feel for, you know, what platform is using. It's so like on my personal on the CodeGeek.net dot net website, it's five to one Android over iOS. Really? Yep.
0: Huh? So That's if we were to
1: develop, you know, a mobile site—not say a mobile app—but if we were going to do a mobile site, well, a mobile site would just be a mobile site. But right. you know, if there was some app that made sense for our clients, it looks like Android would be the first platform to develop rather than oh, yeah. iOS.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, what my my next uh, news item actually touches on what you were just talking about a little bit. Um, it's an article from UX Magazine dot, or UXmag.com. Entitled Five Lessons from a Year of Tablet UX Research. And which really is iPad UX research. <laughs> As we know from previous episodes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Market share is huge for iPad. Yeah, totally. And um the Brennan Brown is the guy who wrote the article and he uh is a part of Answer Lab. And they <clears throat> a month after the iPad came out, they started doing UX research on it, how people interact with it and how they what their expectations are, etc. And they they found some really interesting trends that uh, I wanted to, to mention here real quick. Um, the first trend that they noticed of, of from this entire year is that people are trading their desktop or home computer time for iPad time. Mm-hmm. They're not replacing it, mm-hmm. but a lot of time that they would sit in front of a computer now they're doing it on their iPad or uh, tablet. You'd want to not be too iPad centric. But seventy um, percent of tablet owners use their device while watching TV. Makes I thought that was interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. And fifty percent, fifty-seven percent use that use them when in bed. Mm-hmm. And so neither of those things would you usually do unless you had just a laptop.
1: Right. You're less likely to use a laptop that much in
0: those situations. Right. Mm-hmm. And um and that that was from some from some Nielsen Group research. And uh, most people. Uh, want to use their laptop or desktop in certain circumstances, such as um, something that requires a lot of text entry. Uh, I've raised my hand there as well. Anything that requires multitasking, browsing with, like browsing with multiple tabs, going back and forth. Um, work that requires specialized programs or detailed manipulation like Photoshop or something like that. Activities where security is a major concern. Hmm. And tasks that require information that is only stored on the computer.
1: So those are all things the that they do. people
0: would not use a tablet for. right okay that exactly makes sense. um also that the, the the use of tablet is that it's shared device for like the whole family kind of like a desktop hmm. computer would be not in my family <laughs> <laughs> i don't share well <laughs> <laughs> well if you have you know oh, you, you and your wife and some kids or whatever you're not going to get everybody at an ipad no, probably
1: no, no that is correct
0: so, and that's how it is in my house. You know, we have one iPad and everybody ends up using it for whatever. Absolutely. But um, their point is that that seems to raise security concerns.
1: Hmm. That is interesting. And I hadn't I mean, really
0: thought this through before. Because if you're logged in on a site and it stores a cookie. Right, and a lot of apps store and just log- keep your information. Keep you logged in into the app, yeah. For whatever it is. Correct. Twitter, Facebook, who knows Google what. Google Plus, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's a... There is no ability to have multiple user accounts on the iPad. I wonder. I don't know that's if that's true. something they'll ever even think about. Is that something you can do in Android? Have multiple user accounts?
1: Um, I've not investigated that
0: on Android, so I don't know the answer. It doesn't strike me as something. It doesn't that strike mo- me as likely. No, because if it, especially when you're talking phones, you know, it's, yeah, it's expected. Phone, it's phone a very personal thing. Personal, exactly. Yeah. But, but iPads and are different. Are yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't know how that what that interaction, what that user experience should be. I understand the idea of having multiple user accounts, but I just I don't know. I think that that's probably not something that Apple's gonna be doing in, in any time in the future. And the third trend was that tablet users needed need an experience-based incentive to access web apps. So what they mean is if they're gonna bother um, sorry, to access apps over the web. So, user, they say users want a streamlined experience from iPad apps, which means a sleek, intuitive interface and improved loading speed compared to the web. That makes sense. Responsiveness so, is huge. <clears throat> so they say that basically, if people are going would rather do something over the web, but don't don't make me go to your site through an iPad app unless it's better than the web experience. Is kind of what they're saying. I mean, there's a lot more to it, and my, I might be butchering it a little bit here, but
1: well, that, that makes sense. I mean, you know, per- performance of apps, responsiveness of apps are one of the things. I mean, that's my example at the beginning of our show. We we're talking about the MacBook Air. The thing I love about it is that when I launch a, a desktop application, it launches so fast, fast and yeah. it's very responsive. Um, and you know, that's definitely my expectation on mobile devices that they're going to be very responsive in the web. Generally, has a slower response time depending on how well it's done. But generally, the web is slower,
0: right? And I think people, if I think what they're essentially getting at is, don't bother making an app, an iPad app, native or mobile app, whatever, unless it's going to be way better than your website. Because people are have gotten to the point where they have used enough apps that they know what to what can be done, at least in subconsciously and intuitively. There's a lot of things you can do with an app that you can't do on the web, and if you don't do those things and give me a better experience, deeper, richer somehow, then they're not going to bother with your app. So So those are the trends, but what what they say, the five things that, that mentioned in the title of the article, to keep in mind if you are thinking about developing something on the iPad or if you're a product manager or whatever, it's to remember that the iPad is viewed more of as a small computer than a big iPhone. Mm-hmm. When it first came out, it was like, ah, it's just a big iPhone. Mm-hmm. But people really, it's a different place in your brain for the iPad. And
1: we will talk about that in our next segment a little bit more awesome. because I was without my iPhone for six days yeah. and I was using my iPad as the primary replacement. And I did, it uncovered ways I think about it differently. So That's, I can't wait to hear yeah, that. Yeah, I'll talk about that.
0: And also, um, people use them as kind of extra portable laptops, but they don't take them everywhere. So it's kind of this halfway device. Um, also, uh, when browsing the web, users expect to to access the full version of the website. Okay. Once in a while, you'll come off ac- the tablet. Off the tablet. Okay. So once in a while, I'll come across a website that shows me the mobile version, mm-hmm. and it just drives me crazy because mm-hmm. the screen's big enough. Right. It's like, where's the button for the full site? Right. <laughs> Let me go there now. If I'm on my phone, I don't mind it. Right. But so on the iPad, don't force people. To To the mobile site first, right?
1: Right.
0: And there's easy ways to do that. And also, um, once again, it's a shared device, so you know, keep that in mind. And security is a major concern for a lot of people. Not for me, I'll be honest.
1: I'm kind of
0: lax about security anyway. (laughs) Security slacker. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, those are the five things to keep in mind.
1: I could see the point though about being logged in on various apps because. You know, I've got Skype and Twitter and, uh, you know, I'm using Hootsuite for that, which has access to lots of accounts, um, including some client accounts. Oh, yeah.
0: Ooh.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So, and I hadn't thought, I mean, I I don't really share my iPad with other people just because the only other person in my household is my wife and... She has her own iPad. so <laughs> <laughs> You really don't share, do you? <laughs> um, so it's not a big factor, but that's, that's a really, you know, I mean, you could easily accidentally, you know, send something from an account you didn't mean to, not even right. being intentionally malicious or anything. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That might be the latest excuse on Twitter for posting inappropriate photos. <laughs> <laughs> my three-year-old my, did it. Yeah, my three-year-old did it. <laughs> Sexting from nursery school. Yo, oh, boy. Okay. Only kidding. Maybe not. <laughs> um, related to the tablet thing, my uh, my sister had sent me an infographic today from a Mashable post yeah. on the rise of the mobile workforce called the Mobile Work Style. I guess we'll add a link to that, too. And they had an interesting stat on the tablet boom here in the middle of it that more than 65 million tablets were expected to sell in 2011 Sounds a little high to me, because the iPad is number one, mean? 65 million. That's a lot. It sounds high, because the iPad has sold 25 million so far, but they're by far the leader, so right. to sell more than double that is this across worldwide? all platforms, I don't know. Is this worldwide? Yeah, I think so. Okay. so maybe, I don't know. Anyway, that's a big number. Um, but the stat, this surprise that 65% of mobile workers use a tablet. That's a big number. And 27% of mobile users, mobile workers use a tablet for work. So I guess that means. I, I mean, I, I use mine at work. Mm-hmm. For sure. Means a lot are using it for, I guess, personal things, even, but they're a mobile worker. But it's just amazing how fast adoption has come along on tablets. I mean, incredibly quickly.
0: Yeah, definitely. Cool. Let's let's talk about what you were alluding to a second ago. Yeah.
1: So I um, two weeks ago Friday I dropped my iPhone into the toilet. Nice. (laughs) Uh, I can't. I have not done that,
0: but I have come very close. (laughs) I I
1: just. I still can't believe it. I mean, I've I've had cell phones for fifteen years or more. I mean, a long time, and I'm I'm just so careful with all of my technology. And yeah. I've rarely dropped them at all. Never mind. I've never done anything like that.
0: So uh, that was just And I'm guessing it didn't horrible. survive. Is what it you're didn't.
1: And I did everything that you're supposed to do. You know, I turned it off immediately. Um I dried it out. you know. I actually had to drive down to Denver that day, so I, I left it on my dashboard uh, so it would get kind of warmed up in the sun. Mm-hmm. And then for the next five days, I'd heard a thing to do is to put it in a sealed plastic bag with a, a bunch of rice. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, so I did that for five days, left it in the bag really? for five days, plugged it into a charger, and it immediately said it was 100% full, which can't be right on charge because it was down to like 20% oh. when it went in. I knew that ahead of time. And it also gave me the screen that I needed to connect to iTunes. Like it was a brand new device, mm-hmm. you know, never connected. So it wasn't charging correctly. So I tried plugging it into the computer and the computer never recognized the device. iTunes would not see it. Hmm. So, so for six days I had to, uh, you know, figure out a workaround. So I got very creative. At least I think it was creative. <laughs> I tried lots of things. So the biggest one of course was phone calls, right? Um, but beautifully, it is a phone. It is a phone. <laughs> Most that. important Sounds thing an on answer. the phone <laughs> is phone calls. Even for the iPhone, it's true. Even on AT and T. So I, um, fortunately, uh, you know, just like the week before, Google finally rolled out Google Voice integrated with Google Apps and Google Chat. So I'd used the Google Voice before, but I had to use to log into my regular Gmail account, not my work account, to access okay. that and. From there, you can call phones for free in North America. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Right. So they just rolled that out for Google Apps. So now it's oh, in your chat okay. window. You'll see under your title link, it says call phone. Right. Yep. I wondered what that was. Yep. So that's what that is. And that works really slick. So I really? could call my phone and get my messages. So what I was doing is from I From changed... your laptop or whatever? Yeah, from my laptop. Because I'm in, I'm in Gmail. That's my number one app I use all day long. I'm in mm-hmm. Gmail, and I, we do a lot of voice chats and text chats um, among the work group here. So I'm always in there anyway. I'm in that chat app part of it right. all the time. So that was just a really simple thing then to click over, and then I could dial my phone and get my messages and change my outgoing message nice. <laughs> to "I don't have a phone right now, so leave a message and I will call you back from another number." Um, so that worked pretty well, uh, and I it made me research Google Voice a little more. It has some really cool features. I mean, the number is free. Uh, you can experiment with you know available numbers so you get what you like, and you can have it you can tell it to have different voicemail messages depending on the incoming number. Nice. So you could have unique messages for your family and different numbers. Wow. Yeah, if you have That's like a cool. set of clients that are, you know, you want to handle a certain way, you could have a different outgoing message for them, which is
0: pretty cool. If it's a problem client. Yeah. <laughs> say, Don't call me anymore. I'm out of the country. <laughs> uh,
1: and then there's this other neat features where you can have Google Voice ring multiple phones at once so like if a call comes in through your google voice number you could have it ring your cell phone your home phone and a work phone all at the same time whichever really? one you pick up first they'll transfer the call to there or you can have it go through a sequence like call my work phone first my home phone second and then fall back to my cell phone and like does all know, this stuff work pretty well i did try those features of like the the forwarding piece uh-huh. but i did try the calling piece you know where it rings multiple phones and that's that worked Really? Yeah, it was really It's neat. quick
0: enough to realize which one you picked up. Mm-hmm. Nice.
1: So lots of neat features there. Um, so that worked pretty well. Now on the iPad, so once I was actually mobile, that was great on a laptop, right, when I'm stationary right. and on Wi-Fi. So now when I'm mobile, how do I do this? So I experimented with Google Voice on the iPad through the Verizon 3G. That's what I have on my iPad, too, is the Verizon connection. Okay. Not so good. No way now. Huh. It would connect through, um, it just wasn't very good. And then even Skype. So I tried Skype. Skype was much better on the iPad than trying to go through Google Voice. Um, But Skype would connect. The first 30 seconds were great. And then it would basically drop the call on the Verizon 3G. Really? So Yes, that was annoying. So this is something I tried as a workaround. I also have, like I have to be connected, right? So I also have a little (laughs) cradle point personal hotspot. Yeah. And I have an AT&T cellular modem, Uh USB cellular modem for that. That's on the AT&T 3G network. So while driving, with that on the cellular 3G network, I have my now my local Wi-Fi in the car.
0: right? And my,
1: <laughs> and my iPad is attached to my local Wi-Fi. Yeah. That actually works on Skype surprisingly well. Really, That would keep the call connected for most of the time. It would drop now and then, but it was way more stable than the Verizon 3G built into the iPad. Hmm. So I don't know which piece of that technology was the one that worked well, but
0: it actually worked. So both of them Skype just Skype both on the Skype. iPad with Verizon wasn't working as well as right, Skype. Right, as well on as the Wi-Fi computer. through the AT&T. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, you mean so Skype on the on your iPad mm-hmm. through AT&T Wi-Fi. Well,
1: it was Skype I'm on the sorry. iPad Wi-Fi to my personal cradle point hotspot. Okay. Which was connected it. to yeah, AT&T yeah. Kooky, 3G. Kooky. Interesting. Okay. Yep. So yep. that actually worked. So that was pretty fun. So the things I missed, um We're talking about how we think about things. So I have the Foursquare app, and I check in on Foursquare all the time on my mobile device, on my iPhone four. I just didn't think of the iPad as a mobile device, Um, Hmm. as far as checking in on Foursquare, and even here at the office, you know, because we have a pretty heated competition here, which I am now eight (laughs) days behind, (laughs) regaining the mayorship of the hive, um, because I was at without it for so long there, and I just didn't, I didn't think, I thought of it one day. With the iPad to check in on Foursquare. Hmm. And it's totally just the thinking. Yeah. And certainly out at a restaurant, I'm not going to like whip out the iPad to <laughs> check me in for on Foursquare. <laughs> exactly. It just seems way too conspicuous.
0: Yeah. I, I could see, you know, if you go to a coffee shop, you know, maybe pulling out to read a book or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I, that's interesting. I hadn't really, I'm with you, I hadn't thought about the way that we think about these devices. And it really, it may not seem like a big deal to some people, but it really makes a big difference when you get down to designing something for these devices. Exactly. It's huge.
1: Exactly. So if you're designing an app for these devices, you know, how people think of them, yeah, it does make a big difference.
0: Yeah, there's probably a reason they don't. I don't think there's a Foursquare app for the iPad. There's not. And like the Skype app for iPad just came out like
1: two days ago. Oh, literally. Okay. So So I was actually using the iPhone app Oh For Skype on the iPad when I was in this mode, because there was no iPad app for Skype, um, but now there is, which is even better. Right, right, yeah, even better. So people are using it in that context, which makes sense because hmm. that almost then turns your iPad into a phone,
0: basically. Big, a phone. really big. <laughs> Back to a really big phone. Yep.
1: So the things I missed the most from my iPhone, not having it with me, were the calendar. Um, of course, the iPad has a calendar, but it's, a, it's the way I interact with it was just a little different. So that was interesting. Um, but I did use that. I, I, I take that back. So the apps I used the most. This is yeah. I'm read my own writing here. So the apps I used the most were the calendar for checking my schedule and making new appointments. Yeah. I did find making new appointments slightly clunkier on the iPad than the iPhone, which was interesting and surprising. Clunkier. clunkier. And the reason is the calendar app on the iPhone, when you make, you're always on a day a particular day is highlighted when you start to make a new appointment. So Mm -hmm. it always defaults to that day. And it's just my own habit. I've become used to that. And I just enter the time and the title, two things and I'm done. Right. Whereas on the iPad, it shows you a week at a time was how I was looking at it. I wasn't Mm -hmm. using it in the one day mode because you can see a week of all the appointments really nicely. When you click plus to make a new appointment, you're clicking plus in the lower right corner of the screen. It's not in the context of any particular day. So it starts on the first day of that week. So I made at least a dozen appointments on Monday. <laughs> when I meant to have them on a specific day, and I'm like, "Why is that?" Oh yeah, I've got to pick the day too. And it was just a habit thing that I wasn't in the habit of picking the day as well.
0: Yeah, I know what you, exactly what you mean because the entire, almost the entire reason I use my iPad at work is that I we have an exchange server for our email and calendar and all that. And we have, I have Microsoft Entourage mm-hmm. on my computer, but I hate it with the heat of a thousand suns <laughs> because it's just a horrible user experience. Oh, I never even tried work. it. God, I have it too? But
1: I, I just don't open it. it. Yeah, yeah, just.
0: So what I ha- what I do is I have my iPad sitting next to my computer, and that's what I use for all the calendar because it it deals with Exchange rather well. Hmm. ICal, I would use ICal. And I and mail on my on my at on my Mac.
1: I'm sorry, which app did you say work integrates with Exchange well on the iPad? The,
0: I, the iPad in app, general. The iPad iCal app. Okay, that does upgrade. integrate well. Yeah, yeah. Nice. The iCal on my computer would, but our company's Exchange server is an old old version. Long story. So hmm. my workaround is to use my iPad for my calendar. Wow. And I, I get all these meeting requests and all that. And you just all acknowledge
1: that. them all on the iPad. Yeah, and I
0: just accept hmm. them, and it works pretty pretty well. But I know I know what you're saying. It's New, it's yeah. it's really kind of not intuitive in some ways.
1: Yeah, it isn't. Because it integrates with my Google Calendar, right? So on right. my laptop, I'm used to the G calendar experience where you just click on the day and that initiates the appointment right. setting. And of course then it's on the proper day. So it's just a habit thing of what you're used to. So it's just interesting that I notice, you know, what user experience glitches you run into switching between. So it's an inconsistent
0: experience between the two platforms. Yeah, I would I would like Apple to do some thinking about and, and that. And it doesn't make sense because no. why
1: can't you tap on a day on the iPad and have it launch a new event? That seems silly that it doesn't work that way, right. but it doesn't.
0: Well, th- the thing that bugs me the most is it looks like a little book Yeah, and you can't swipe the pages.
1: <laughs> you can't. I know, you have to go to the <laughs> bar a and drag the little slider. It's like, yeah. what? and then the little tear across the top... <laughs> I'm a little OCD on a few things. I'm like, okay, that was cute for eight seconds and now I'm bored. So, (laughs) (laughs) So the apps I use the most on the iPad as my replacement were the calendar, Skype, um, my iPod for listening to podcasts because I'm a podcast junkie. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, this is pretty funny. I am so addicted to my podcast and Audible. So, I have the Audible app on both my iPhone. I usually listen on my iPhone, but I was listening on the iPad without the iPhone. I'm so into it that, like, when I'm doing stuff around the house, like cooking dinner, I can't be without it. So the iPhone just fits in my pocket. Right. So I have a very small, it's like an iPad size briefcase that I've had for a while. I can just put my Bluetooth keyboard and Uh iPad in. So I take that to client meetings a lot. Uh, I actually made a shoulder strap for it and was walking (laughs) (laughs) away. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) embarrassing.
0: Wow, Ron.
1: I think you need to see someone about this one. (laughs) And then Google Maps. So for, um, I am, I'm totally addicted to GPS apps, and I have the TomTom Tom app for my iPhone. Yeah. And I have a little holder on the windshield, you know, right. is, and it's just fantastic because the traffic data on the TomTom Tom and the navigation on the TomTom Tom app for iPhone is so much better than I'm a huge Garmin fan. Like, I'm a Garmin fanboy, and I have a portable one. Yeah. But the traffic and the navigation is better on the TomTom. Tom. So really? I've just been using
0: that. I might need to try that because I have the Navigon, and it's pretty crappy.
1: Oh, It's good. It's like, I think, 65 bucks for all of the US and Canada. Wow. And if you just want U.S. only, it's even cheaper. Wow, one-time fee, traffic's twenty bucks for a year. But that's totally miss one traffic jam is worth twenty bucks.
0: And I need to find out which holder you have, as an aside, because mine sure. broke.
1: I can't find sure. It so interestingly, the TomTom Tom app on the iPad would not display traffic for me, and I could not figure.
0: Is it an iPad app? No,
1: it's an iPhone app, and huh. you just run it at two X, and it
0: right works.
1: So it navigated fine, but no traffic. So to me, tra- traffic is the—I mean, I'm driving the same routes. It's not like I don't know how to get there. Right. Um, it's the traffic. That's data. the reason you have it. Yeah, I'm driving back and forth to Denver a couple times a, a week, and you know, mm. you need the traffic. So yeah. Google Maps turned out to be the best answer for me because that has traffic it data. It does. You're right. Yep. So I was using that for traffic, and then having to manually navigate. You know, just knowing the area. But if I was in an unfamiliar area, I would have been would have been a pain. Right. Yeah. So the things I missed, those are the things I used the most. The things I missed were checking in on Foursquare, because I really do that a lot. Um, texting, that's how I stay in touch with my wife the most during the day. So I really missed not being able to text, felt kinda of out of touch there. Um, visual voicemail, I love that mm. on the iPhone. Yeah. And you know, just the ability to scrub through a particular voicemail, like, oh, I missed something. I could back up right. 10 seconds. Or I
0: just want the phone number.
1: Yeah, I'll by calling it. in, you know, you could back up to the beginning of the message. You have to listen through the whole thing.
0: Huh. Oh,
1: so frustrating. It's a little <laughs> thing.
0: It's my camera
1: and my clock. Why does the iPad not have the Apple Clock app?
0: What is up with that? It doesn't. It I, I I didn't realize it told you. I did <laughs> I, didn't I didn't either. I didn't either. I use the timer all the
1: time. Like for cooking, breakfast and dinner. I'm yeah. always using the timer. For meditating, I use the timer. I use a timer, laundry, I use the timer. Um, I use a timer like all the time. Yeah. Every day. Huh.
0: I'm sure there's a, an app for that. Yeah, but there still. are there's a
1: million apps. So why, but the Apple one is fantastic. So yeah. why don't they have the Apple clock app on the iPad? Well they don't
0: have a calculator app either
1: what's up with that? I
0: <laughs> so
1: anyway, interesting to find the limitations of devices that I wasn't even aware of because I have so many devices, I guess I don't know.
0: You're so specialized. Uh,
1: well, so to wrap up the story and, um, and move on. So, to, to, so the conclusion of the story was iPhone would not continue to work. Right. So I go to the Apple store and basically beg for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> and I admitted what I did. And asked for, you know, say, what can you do to help me out? I'm really, you know, huge Apple fan. And I use this device all the time, every day. And it's interesting not having it because I was trying to research, you know, okay, what are my fallbacks if they won't give me, you know, if I can't get a new phone um, through Apple, what am I going to do? Because there's a new iPhone coming out in a couple of months. They right. say sometime between now and October 15th, they're forecasting the new mm-hmm. iPhone. Like, can I hang on till then, you know, and get the new one? Because if I get a new one on contract now, I won't be qualified for right. a one on contract in two months. Um, so I actually dug out my really old Samsung flip phone and I was actually willing to go back and just <laughs> use that for a phone and my iPad until I was almost ready to make... Honestly, the biggest difference, though, is I have a big trip coming up uh, in September and the camera on the iPhone is so good. That's the one thing I would have missed on that trip. I was actually huh. thinking of getting a new iPhone 4 just for the camera, you know, to have the camera wow. with me in Europe. Yeah. So anyway, funny. I went to the Apple store and um gave the guy my sob story and he was very polite. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I've done that too." Which was kind of him to say. I don't know that he actually <laughs> had, but yeah, everybody drops it in the toilet. <laughs> and um He uh, pulled the SIM card out and checked the serial number. So let me check on, you know, the status of things. And he said, well, there's good news and bad news. Bad news is you're 35 days out of warranty. No. yep, 30. Oh. But the good news is we are going to give you a one-time get-out-of-jail-free deal here. And I'm just going to give you a new phone now. No way. Yep. So he walked to the back, came back with, and I have the high-end one, you know, the 32-gig memory. Yeah. Which I use all of, all my podcasts and photos. And, um. He hand me, just handed me a new phone, put the SIM card in, it worked immediately, and made me sign on his little portable device, and, and we were done. I gave him a really big hug. <laughs> I think he was a little surprised at that.
0: <laughs> wow, I, I can't believe they give you a uh, Oh, that's nice. so I
1: was so thankful, because, uh, man, the alternatives were very painful. I mean, you know, to buy one out of contract, it's like 700
0: bucks. Yeah, it's painful. It's painful. It's expensive.
1: Yikes. So I was super So Thank you, Apple. Anybody from Apple listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you sharing a teeny, teeny slice of your 60% profit market share in the mobile world with me. Um,
0: well, I think they've got the cash to spare. Yes, the
1: uh, $72 billion uh, was not dented too much by my...
0: <laughs> no, the, no, no.
1: And in a way, it might have been good timing too because they're probably trying to offload a little bit of the I4, iPhone 4 stock you know the new phone coming out so maybe i help them out a little bit (laughs) yeah
0: there you go that's that's what you need to think of it that way so you be will you be getting the new one when it does come out Uh, probably not because i'm happy with unless it's something amazing amazing. i
1: mean i I had the iphone one when it first came out and held on to that till the iphone 4 i skipped two generations and there
0: went so you're gonna wait till the six or the seven (laughs) probably not that long
1: i'll wait till there's some compelling feature that is wonderful but uh so I probably won't get the new one. Is my my guess? I've got enough. I but the air here, it's enough new toys for a while.
0: Well, that's that's a that's a cool story. Thanks for sharing that because it's really interesting yeah. to see, like you said, the the different ways you perceive and and deal with your stuff, and the way people deal with things is really different than we expect sometimes. It Which is. is why, as a UX person, research is a big deal. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> you don't research it. it.
1: It's and it's given me even you know I've really had. Not realized, it, but I've taken the device for granted. You know, it's just this little thing the size of a pack of cards. But man, it's the value of this to me is so much higher than I had given it credit for. You know, mm. it was it was a major hand ringing. Like you a know. loss of piece of you. Yeah, That was <laughs> a lot of workarounds I had to figure out. You yeah. Know? <laughs>
0: We're going to take a minute to talk about our podcast sponsor, Audible.com. And for listeners of Einstein and Sock Monkey, you can get a free audio book with uh, a free 14-day trial to check out the service. And if if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that Ron and I are both massive fans of Audible, mm-hmm. possibly addicted, I'm guessing. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Probably true.
0: Because I'm the same way. When I'm, I ride my bike to work, I, I'm listening to an audible book. Totally. almost every time yeah, worse I right my podcast bike. or whatever but um, cooking etc cleaning but um we wanted to we try to give you an audible pick uh, uh, of the episode and the one I the book I wanted to pick this episode was uh, called spark the revolutionary new science of exercise and the brain hmm. by John uh, Rady. I think that's how you say his last name hmm. so and like physical exercise physical and the exercise brain. Tell and me the more. brain it well I I'm glad you asked, Ron. Um, <laughs> I, I love uh, I, a lot of lo- a lot of the books I listen to on Audible are nonfiction. They have a massive mm-hmm. collection of like eighty-five thousand books for nonfiction and fiction. But um, I love books like this because it's. I love brain science, and I think I've picked a, a book about brain science in the past. But this talks about specifically the effect of physical exercise on the brain, and the it's amazing the amount of benefit you get from exercising hmm. when, that you would not get from there's no other way no other way to get no pill to take there is no pill <laughs> to take and and so he he the, he goes through the book and it's kind of organized but he he dr- addresses different um benefits along the way like um alertness and things like this Uh you can learn faster you remember things better and there's he has it backed up with a ton of research and this is like afterwards between exercise not during not during okay no. so you're not like studying during while actually exercising. during sometimes depending on this how strenuous it is you actually your cognitive level goes down a little okay. bit mm-hmm. cuz you're so focused on the exercise or whatever mm-hmm. but afterwards your brain it's like hyperdrive mode and is and there like a
1: time factor there like is it like shortly afterwards you're even more primed and then it degrades a little or is it just yeah. in general there it,
0: is? i mean it, there's a general uh, benefit but okay. like he, he really recommends if you want to get the full benefit to hyper hypercharging your brain from exercise uh-huh do it in the morning okay because then it kind of starts your brain for the day and if you do it at night it tends to jump start your brain and keep you awake right right and um One of the things he, some of the most interesting pieces he mentioned was that research has been done that if you have depression, just taking a walk or doing a little bit of exercise is more effective than like any depression medication out there. Mm. It's, I mean, lots of, they've been doing a lot of research on this. So there's data and studies on that and all that. Yeah, neat. Yeah, and Mm. um on top of that, the, it, it improves not only your memory, but the, it, it creates more pathways in your brain. It, it, there's all hmm. kinds of wow. It totally you know, wanted me to exercise more. That's cool.: <laughs> it's uh. one reason I'm, re- I'm riding my bike to work every day is because of this book, honestly, because oh, it' cool. It really opened my eyes to see a lot of the things that you just cannot get in your brain working without moving your body around. I mean, that's kind of how we're built
1: yeah that makes sense that that's how we're built yeah, yeah I, could, I could see that well that's helpful information because tonight I actually
0: have a ton of work
1: to do and I was thinking of going to the gym first and uh, well, hey. I think I will <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good idea <laughs>
0: But uh, so that book is Spark um, and we'll, it's going to be in the show notes of course but um, if you want to get that book or any other book for free uh, go to audibletrial.com slash Einstein and sign up there I warn you, if you sign up, you'll want to stay signed up. Mm -hmm. So um, audibletrial.com slash Einstein. So for my blog pick this
1: week, uh, one has an interesting title called chartporn.org. Wait,
0: I want to keep the clean (laughs) tag. It's it's not what you think. (laughs) Uh, it's actually Let's quite fun if this. you're if you're into
1: infographics or you know chart or data visualization at all. Um, of course, this is static data visualization because it's charts, right? Um, not interactive charts; they're static charts. But uh, the author posts um, roughly one chart a day, and um, they're just really interesting. All different topics, all over the board. But if you're looking for, um, uh, it, it's really interesting for lots of reasons. One is some of it is current topical stuff, like there's some stuff on the U.S. budget and deficits and all that. That's topically interesting, um, if you're looking for charts that are well designed charts that are poorly designed, it's kind of a nice showcase to look for examples of how you might design charts mm. and some of us are just you know I like infographics and data visualization in general, so to me it's fun just to scan through and and see some of the stuff that um that they're posting up there.
0: well, the whole infographic thing is getting more and more popular, yeah, and sometimes, like you said, sometimes they're really good and sometimes it's you're really like really bad you didn't really need to. <laughs> Draw that fancy picture. <laughs> but you know, picture thousand words and all that. It's it's interesting. Whoa, the federal debt thing.
1: Yeah, the debt ones are pretty pretty interesting.
0: The pile of money bigger than the Statue of Liberty. Nice. Anyway, cool. Thanks for that. ChartPorn.org. The mm-hmm. pick the the blog I wanted to pick for the week is UXMatters.com. And while it is not the prettiest design, <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, it's kind of like 1995 design. Of it looks like some template or whatever. Uh, it's usable, <laughs> but the content is really super good. Uh, I go there a lot. They have a very, um, very good balance, or actually a good mix, I should say, between some human-computer interaction topics and articles that go very, very deep and technical and into the research and et cetera. And on the other side, it's kind of very basic stuff about usability or user experience design. Um, But it's it's really easy to browse through by topic um, or whatever you want to do. Uh, a, A few of the, like some of the more complex ones, the most recent article here, embodied cognition and how it affects judgment and decision making.
1: Yeah, that sounded. I saw that right away. I was like, yeah, that's that an easy kind read, kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds interesting.
0: It's interesting, but you know,
1: yeah, you can tell uh, you're gonna have to get into that one a little
0: bit. But some of the other ones, like client reactions to user research findings, you know, what, how do people react to the what they and what what you show them, and how do you, how do can you present it differently? Um, the challenges of car- targeting late adopters, which it may not maybe not exactly UX. It kind of it has a, a you know implication. So. It's a really good uh, blog, and it's, it's, been, it, it's been around for quite some time, so there's a lot of good content on there. If you ever want to, if you're ever bored and you want to read some good UX content, then uh, go to uxmatters.com. So I would
1: like to remind everybody uh, about our book club. The book that we are uh, Steve and I are reading right now is Resonate by Nancy Duarte, and we've got a link in the show notes uh, to Amazon if you want to pick it up there. Um, Just for your convenience, so you don't get any affiliate, anything off of that. Uh, Anyway, it's a wonderful book on presentations, as in PowerPoint presentations, or other types of presentations that might not be PowerPoint, and talks about how to create uh, the storyline for your presentation so that it actually changes audience behavior by the end of your presentation. It's A very powerful book, and uh, we'll be reviewing it. On the podcast in a future episode So uh, pick that up, read it And please make comments on our blog About questions that you might have about the book Or your thoughts on the book And um, we will discuss those uh, During that podcast And thank you to Josh Mulligan For doing the show notes for Einstein and Sock Monkey Uh, I'll thank the Hive uh, HiveFC.com HivePortCollins.com For the um, space to record our podcast
0: today yeah, and please visit the website, uh our website, Einstein and SockMonkey.com, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if at all possible, and rate us in iTunes if you like, or hopefully uh you hopefully you like it and hopefully you don't not like it if that made any <laughs> sense. So uh subscribe there and rate us there, and you can find me uh in my other life in at clevercubed.com or Twitter is at clevercubed.
1: And you can find me online at uh, codegeek.net. Uh that's our website. And online I'm Ron underscore Z. And um I'm on Google Plus now too and really loving yeah, that. I was
0: gonna say, how, how do you, you just say, I guess look for Steve Martin on Google Plus. But <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh there easy to, way to, to find I look at my people. email
1: response. Um I can tell you really quick. There's a there's a there's a service now to create a short link to your Google Plus account. Oh really? Um, which you could just make your own short link off uh, sure. of Bitly or something. But um, let's see. It's gplus.to. To so gplus. Dot to and I at that URL I'm Ron Zaz R O N Z A S. I wasn't quick enough to get Ron Z or Ron under. You can't do underscores.
0: Oh really? So,
1: yeah. So that's kind of a bummer. So Twitter, Ron underscore Z at G plus dot O. I'm Ron Z A S. It's not working.
0: G plus G P L U S dot T O.
1: Right slash Ron Z A S. Take it right to me.
0: Because mm. r- G plus dot T A O is not working for me. Dot T O. Yeah. Well, I'll worry about it later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not going to bore people with my technical problems. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, anyway, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will see you all next time. So long. Einstein and sock monkey is sponsored by CodeGeek.net, a full-service web design and development agency, and CleverCubes.com, providing user experience design usability testing, and information architecture. And presented by Ron Zasadinski and Steve Martin. Music provided by the band Black Lab. Find them at blacklabworld.com.